At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today is a special treat, and I say that every single episode I know, so you go ahead and roll your eyes and laugh at me all you want to, but we've got Team Indianapolis coming at you uh, with Amy Brown, the CEO of Authentics. And Amy, welcome to Healthcare Americana. We were laughing on our pregame that, uh, you know what, we could have done this one in person, and it feels good to say that even though we are not doing that, but we could have done it. So welcome to the show. It's a happy surprise that we uh, that we are in the same city right now. Uh, thanks for having me today, Chris. Almost down the street from one another. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Which is always fun because, you know, I get this swell of Midwestern pride when I talk to people like yourself. It's like, not to pick on the coasts, but we're not reinventing a new Facebook out there. We're actually going after solutions that are impacting people's lives. And again, I say that tongue in cheek, so I don't want to hate mail from the coasts, either one of them. But give us a little background of about you as a founder and CEO of a company impacting healthcare. I know those are big words. That's a big plate to fill. Read us into what you're doing on your everyday. Yeah, I'll give you just a little bit of background on myself because that helps tell the story about what what we do at Authentics. I uh, started my education, which kind of the foundation to my career was in social work, actually. Um, I got my master's in social work and knew immediately that I really wanted to focus on macro issues, not those interpersonal application of social work. So I started in state government my career and, and worked on healthcare-related macro issues in, in the health policy setting. And from there, I left and, and started uh, working in the private sector in the health insurance and healthcare space and did that for 20 years. And what I learned from those experiences is that we were doing a terrible job with administering healthcare in this country for healthcare consumers. Um, my role was always an operator. I was responsible for customer service, member services, claims operations, prior authorizations, all those gnarly kind of administrative aspects of the healthcare journey in, in the U.S. And I learned firsthand just how convoluted it was. And I learned about it by listening to the healthcare consumers and physicians who were contacting our organizations every day. And I worked for many different organizations, not just one. I worked for regional 
provider-owned managed care companies. I worked for uh, large publicly traded health insurance companies. In all those cases, I learned from healthcare consumers who were contacting us every day or the providers that it was a mess. And the business of working with the healthcare system was almost as painful as any underlying medical condition those those, uh, patients may have had. That's a very profound statement. It uh... It's almost the old saying that the cure is worse than the actual disease itself to actually go through that treatment philosophy. So it sounds like you were involved in seeing how the sausage gets made in a, again, I don't, I got to shy away from the term broken healthcare system. There's a lot of people making a lot of money out there. So it kind of functions the way that it's designed right now. And I'm curious about your perspective on that, like getting into the weeds, because we've talked to nurses, we've talked to physicians who were living it, trying to do the right thing for people. It's been a while since we've talked to somebody that I'm going to call on the administration side. So first question, give me a quick and dirty definition of how would you define healthcare administration? Because that is such an ambiguous term that there's a ton of money flowing back and forth, but everybody's like, oh, it's just administration. What does that actually mean? Well, from my view, it's anything that happens before and after the visit, the clinical care visit. So whether that is a doctor's office visit or a surgery or a physical therapy appointment, whatever it is, all the aspects of a customer's experience with the healthcare system that fall outside of that clinical visit qualify under administrative So from the perspective of health insurance, you think about enrolling in a health insurance program and making decisions around your benefits and then the claims administration process and the prior authorization process. If your doctor's written you a particular treatment plan that isn't automatically covered by insurance, if you think about it from a pharmaceutical perspective, your doctor may write you a script for a particular medication, but maybe that medication isn't provided at your retail pharmacy and you can't just walk in and get it. Maybe it's a specialty pharmacy and you have to go figure out what is a specialty pharmacy and does my insurance cover it? And are there different step therapies my insurance is going to make me go through before it will actually fill the script that my doctor has written me? It's the financial services. It's the scheduling. It's all of those things that go into getting the actual care you need for your mental or physical health. Nowhere in that did I hear any emphasis on what the patient is experiencing. And I think that's what you alluded to of why you kind of saw the light. Was there a particular moment when you were doing kind of a previous life and you said, well, wait a minute, something's wrong here. This isn't working. What was that? Well, so I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but what Authentics does is listen to those voice recorded conversations that happen in healthcare call centers every day. So we've all had the experience where we've called customer service and we've heard this call may be recorded for quality and monitoring purposes, but we probably all have wondered, does anyone actually ever listen to those things? And the answer is that's what Authentics does. And so the light bulb moment for me was when you know, I had been doing this for years where I was managing the call center and our teams were amassing hundreds of thousands of recorded conversations every year. And we were privy to kind of the nature of those conversations. We, we knew that patients were talking about their desperation for care. We knew that patients were talking about what we name social determinants of health. Of course, patients don't talk about it like that. They say, I can't afford my groceries this month. 
especially if I've got this doctor bill, right? So in operations, we knew all this was going on. Meanwhile, in our C-suite or in our sales and marketing team within the healthcare enterprise, we're clamoring to figure out what customers think of us. Uh, How do we retain market share? How do we grow our customer base? How do we make sure our provider network is, is happy with us? And so we began soliciting feedback from patients and and providers. And the disconnect for me was, hey, guys, we're sitting on millions of interactions that we facilitate and sponsor every single day as an organization where customers are crying out to be heard and for them not to just be heard by the call center representative whose job it is to solve that problem and go on to the next call, but by the leaders who are empowered to make the changes to the healthcare system to make things better. And it was a disconnect for me that we had all this insight lying dormant in a data source that we owned, but yet our marketing or our sales team or our C-suite was not leveraging that data source at all. And instead they were wondering what they should do to make their customer experience better. I find that fascinating. I, I really do because I'm sitting there smiling and, and nodding along as you're saying that. And I got to say, I love the passion and the energy that you bring to this because those are the people who are going to change things for the mo- for the positive, right? Change can be positive or negative. And I can definitely tell that uh, this is one of those things that can be positive. Actually listening to people, providing a good patient journey, a patient experience, which I know you're big on. I love it from that standpoint. Their patient walks in the door and we don't ever want them to not know where they go or not know what questions are asked or not feel comfortable. So give us a little bit of insight into what you found because, again, getting patient feedback without going out into formal survey tools or whatever that is, just getting that raw feedback, I think that's got to be insanely valuable. It is. We call it unsolicited feedback. So The reality is whether a patient or a consumer says I'm giving you feedback or not is irrelevant. They're telling you why they contacted you. They're telling you what their problems are. They're telling you what they wish you would do for them. And that is all unsolicited feedback that flows inside healthcare enterprises every single day. One of the things we found is customers in very large quantities every day are feeling very stuck. And we have named that phenomenon the Eddie effect. The Eddie effect is the Authentics branded phrase for customers who have hit an obstacle or barrier in their customer journey and have to repeatedly contact the healthcare organization to try to solve their problem. This happens on average, 30% of all inbound interactions from consumers are people who are literally stuck between one part of the healthcare system and another and are working hard to try to get from point A to point B in the healthcare system. I'm sure you've experienced it, Chris. I know I have, where you know you just wanted to schedule an appointment and it just wasn't that easy, right? And so you had to make multiple calls. And that phenomenon of customers being stuck, what we're finding is it's causing delays in treatment. It's causing healthcare conditions to get worse, let alone it's causing customers to get frustrated and want to leave Dr. A to go to Dr. B or leave insurance A to go to insurance B, right? So there's business implications and there's certainly healthcare outcomes implications because the business of doing healthcare in this country is just so very, very complex and all the burden of navigating it is on the consumer. We're talking with Amy Brown, founder and CEO of Authentics. Amy, you're just describing a lot of the issues that the vast majority, I will say, uh, of people seeking care options and, and treatment in the United States. I am included in that, like you so rightly pointed out, 
Which is one of the motivations of why we started Freedom of HealthWorks in the first place. You know, we're like, there's two big obstacles in healthcare. It's the government and it's insurance. How do we get them out of the exam room? Oh, we stop doing business with them. <laughs> it presents challenges, but you know, we're on the we're on the right path there. So it's almost like a simplification. And that's what is really, you know, really attracts me about this conversation. You're listening to people. You're actually getting feedback and you're acting on that feedback. Read us in on that action because I don't I guess I'll say this. One of my biggest pet peeves is presenting problems and then we just go our separate ways. I love solutions. Maybe not the right solution, but it's a solution. It's a decision being made. Let's go figure out if it's going to work. So with that, Amy, what are the solutions? How do you use that in order to enhance the patient experience? Yes. So we are a, a SaaS platform, a software as a service company. We sell our licenses to our platform where we have machine learning models listening at scale to these customer conversations and shining a big bright light on the pain points and problems for our clients. And our clients happen to be insurers, payers, the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the providers and health system industry. And so we, to your point, you know, we do not build a product that just shines a light on the problem. We also Our product is designed to create responsiveness uh, to what is being heard. So we have a variety of ways that we do that. But just to kind of put it into what do healthcare leaders actually do from listening using our platform? I have several examples, but probably most impactful for this conversation is they learn what is driving customer pain and likely to impact the health outcomes and business outcomes they're looking to improve. And they will, they make changes to their customer journey. They make changes to their workflows. They make changes to how they train their hospital staff. They use these customer voices because our product doesn't just kind of visualize in kind of graphical form what's going on, but we also have a part of our product that allows very busy leaders to literally listen to the voice of their customer to those pain points that our machine learning models are finding. And so as a CEO of an organization, I might be able to go into the Authentics platform today and search for calls that happened yesterday where customers were complaining about our product or our bill paying experience. When I as a leader hear that, and I then I can look at the pie graph that says that's happening 40% of the time, I no longer can ignore that fact. I have now been immersed in the pain of my customer. And we're seeing that that combination of listening to the little literal patient voice with the data-backed visualizations of it to be the driver towards change and speed of change within the healthcare leadership team. How have those conversations, the patient feedback, how has that changed from when you started Authentics until present day? Are people still complaining about the same stuff? Is there different complaints? Are there different headaches, choke points, bottlenecks? Yeah. I mean, some things have not changed and others have. So I would say that we continually hear and have been hearing about how confusing and how complex the process of navigating the business of healthcare Customers and consumers don't necessarily put it in those terms, but essentially that's what they're saying in these conversations is how hard it is to get something done and to get the care that they need. So that has not changed to the extent that we would hope it would. What has changed 
and this has a lot to do with our macro environment, is obviously we were here doing this work before COVID, and, and we were certainly here during COVID. And the amount of impact that COVID had on the healthcare consumer experience was just so dramatic. And our clients needed to use our real-time insights so that they could pivot their business model to be responsive to the to the phenomenon of, of COVID. And then now I would say that with the macroeconomic climate impacting um, at least large portions of, of consumers who are feeling the pinch of inflation or, or whatnot, you hear customers saying more and more about the choices they're having to make between you know paying for their health care versus other basic needs. I want to go back and talk about your background. You mentioned it earlier in our conversation that your background is in social work. Again, that's kind of a uh, path less taken, I guess, for a healthcare tech executive. So really curious, like read us into your work, you know, in the, in the social lives and, and looking at people, reading people, and then bringing that into present day. Because I, in, in my opinion, you know, change in industry comes from outside of it. If you were sitting here saying, look, I've been in healthcare for 20 years, and all of a sudden I had this bright idea, and I know how to fix things, right? That never, ever happens. You got to take kind of the range is, is super important. You got to take lessons learned and, and other aspects and then apply them so you don't have your blinders on. So kind of a long-winded question there, Amy, but how valuable was your work in, the, I guess, the social elements of society? Yeah, it was super valuable to have that foundation of an education and then to bring that perspective into policy and, and macro organizational work. I think what I learned is that, first of all, my gifts are not at the interpersonal level, but more at the system level. Yet that underlying kind of belief that listening to the perspectives of everyday customers, everyday humans will give you the keys to what you should do as a policymaker. The problem with this data source is that there's just so much of it when you look at health, the health system, there's so much of it and it is techie people call it, you know, it's unstructured data. It's voluminous and it's messy. It's hard to organize it. It's hard to know what the signals are from it. And so instead, we just kind of store it and mostly ignore it. It's very, very hard to listen to customers. And I will say that being a social worker inside the business of healthcare gave me the perspective of understanding the realities and the complexities of our healthcare system, but never losing sight of that power of a human voice and, and why listening can be so, so very valuable, not only for your business goals, but for the bigger healthcare goals. And so I got to a stage in my life, I had passed the 40-year mark, I had had my kiddos and and I had achieved kind of some of my career milestones that I wanted to achieve. And I, I just said, you know, I've seen this experience. I still have this passion and I really want to go try to make a mark and do something with this knowledge and experience that I've had. So that's really what led to, to me starting Authentics. Of course, I'd never started a tech company before. So thankfully, in my work as COO in various roles, I had met some really awesome technical professionals and, and found a CTO who could help take the vision and turn it into a SaaS product. That was going to be my next question when you finally said, you know what, I've, I've kind of achieved what I wanted to, uh, being an employee in my career. Now I'm going to go out and start my own Let's say, what are your reactions to your, your, your from your friends and family? 
<laughs> well, so this was obviously something that my husband and I, my husband at the time was a stay-at-home dad. You know, we we chose for, for him to kind of stay at home. We had four kids. Um, and so I was the sole income earner for our family, and he ran the whole operation, right, of our of our lives. And we just had a lot of conversation uh, leading up to a decision. And then once we made the decision, we spent six months saving and reorganizing our financial lives so that we could live for a year to 18 months without making any money. So we did that. We had conversation with the kids about changing their lifestyle. I got to a stage where I was like, you know, I could make your lives comfortable or I could show you what it means to chase your dreams and the sacrifices that you have to make for that. And I'm guys, I'm choosing the latter. <laughs> so uh, hang on. We're going to hang on to each other. In terms of my friends and family, I mean, I had lots of really wonderful support. I also had some friends who were like, you're crazy. That's irresponsible, <laughs> right, to do that to your family. Um, but but it's all worked out. And I feel like it was just something, Chris, that I had to do. Like I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have died satisfied if I hadn't taken this leap, honestly. You got to go out there, try, see what you're capable of. And I love the lesson, you know, you brought in brought in the, your, your children and said, look, I'm going to show you a path that it's going to be a lot of hard work. But in the end, I'm assuming, hopefully, that it's been worth it so far. It has been worth it. And it's been four years now. And we just opened our first post-COVID, post-Series A raise office. It's beautiful. It's 7,500 square feet. And when my kids came into this office for the first time, you could see that they felt like they had played a role in getting us here. And this this office was a physical representation or a symbol of the hard work that, that they put in, the sacrifices they put into making this dream a reality. That's fantastic. It takes a village, you know, not just to raise kids, but, you know, to, to show them the light and show them the way. So good for you. I'm glad that it's been successful. Again, you know, not just my Midwestern pride, you know, swelling up here, uh, looking at, at uh, successful people doing incredible things. Amy, I want to ask you, I want to ask you about incentives. From where I stand, incentives are a huge part of this industry of getting people to engage with physicians, getting physicians to spend time with people, and then all the administrative stuff that we happened that we talked about before. What have you seen from your experience and with Authentics that has impacted incentives in a positive way? Because I ask that because always the downfall is unintended consequences of trying to incentivize people's actions. So have you gained any insights into what it really incentivizes a patient to call, to act, to seek care, and then follow that all the way through the care experience. Yes. So is your question more around patient incentives or like system and stakeholder incentives? You can take it any way you want to. Just give us kind of your viewpoint on it from the authentic standpoint and how you guys are really hopefully changing you know, the way that people are incented to interact with healthcare. Yeah. Well, so... I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but we what we see in terms of customers reaching out and talking to the healthcare system is they do it out of necessity and out of survival. They they have to interact to get the care that they need. And so they're highly incentivized because they have basic needs that need to be met and they're hoping that the next call they make or the next email they send is going to be the the magic one that helps get them what they need. When you mentioned the word incentives, 
where I kind of thought you were going with that is one of the challenges we see when we kind of rise above the three verticals that we serve, you know, payers, providers, and pharma, is that they are all incentivized differently. They are all incentivized differently by their payers, and also their business objectives are met differently. And what that has led to, from our view, is everybody kind of writes their own rule book for how consumers should engage with them based on how the incentives are lining up for that particular vertical. That creates this really complex system where no matter where you go, whatever pharmacy it is, whatever health insurance company it is, whatever provider it is, the rules are different, the forms are different, the process is different, which creates a lot of waste in the system. And even in, you know, there was a Commonwealth study in October of last year that looked at the top 10 wealthiest countries, and not just the single-payer countries, countries that have competitive landscapes of, of health insurance companies. And that study found that the U.S. ranked dead last on administrative cost, which how do other countries do this uh, when they have a free market in terms of stakeholders, payers, providers, et cetera? Well, they all agree to playing by similar rules or their incentives are aligned. And when the incentives for the businesses and the, the healthcare stakeholders aligned, it allows for a more seamless experience for the healthcare consumer. And so there's like standardization. And so what we're seeing is an opportunity for our healthcare stakeholders to work more collaboratively with one another for the benefit of their own businesses, but also for the benefit of the healthcare consumer. Kind of piggybacking on that aspect of aligning incentives, Amy, last question for you here today. And this is your big crystal ball. You got the magic wand. You can make, you know, just anything, anything you want to happen. Just poof, done. How do you create a perfect healthcare system and what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it starts with what I just said about aligning incentives that the various stakeholders in the healthcare journey must be aligned on what we're all here to do. And that must mean that there are sacrifices and compromises made within every industry of the healthcare system. And no one wants to hear that, but that is the truth, is that if if there are not compromises and sacrifices made for the good of the consumer and, and the health outcomes we're all trying to achieve, then we won't get anywhere. And so we need payers, we need providers, we need government to align if they exist at all, they need to align on incentives and what the end goal is. And we would live in a much healthier society as well as a less costly healthcare system if we could do that. Amy Brown, founder and CEO of Authentics in the wonderful city of Indianapolis. Thank you so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. This has been a pleasure to talk to you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and check out our fantastic online store. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom Health Works and Freedom Doc. 
If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.